I've been looking forward to this series for a long time. Jay, when was the first time we talked about this? Six months ago? I don't know, months. I said, Jay, what's your favorite books of the Bible? He said, well, Psalms is one of my favorites. I said, well, let's, let's do a series on Psalms. Why not? Summertime would be a good time. So here we are. Psalms, part one. In doing a lot of research for this series of messages, I found so many books that call Psalms the book of prayers. And I guess that's legitimate, because I know that a lot of people pray the Psalms, and there's certainly a lot of words directed towards God in those, in those verses. But actually, Psalms is not really a book of prayers, although it can be used for that. It's a song book. You see, the, the Psalms are really the lyrics to songs that were meant to be accompanied by stringed instruments. That's what the word psalm means. The stringed instruments they used in those days, we've lost in, uh, through the years, of course. They mentioned the harp and the lyre, and they have pictures of what they look like, but we don't use those instruments anymore. We do read the Psalms, though, that are lyrics to songs. So lyrics must be pretty important, even if there's no instruments. And I was thinking about some of the lyrics of songs that were important for me. I remember the first number one hit that I ever liked, 1956, 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford. Now, Tennessee Ernie Ford was a, was a gospel singer. He was a Christian singer. Now, let me just read you some of the lyrics. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. By the way, this is a compliment now. We're talking about a coal miner. You load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me, because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Now, they could actually say St. Peter in a song in those days. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine. I picked up my shovel. I walked to the mine. I loaded 16 tons of number nine coal. The store boss said, well, bless my soul. If you see me coming, you better step aside. A lot of men didn't. A lot of men died. One fist of iron, the other of steel. If the right one doesn't get you, the left one will. You know, the 16th time, what do you get? Another day, old right, deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me, because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. So you get a little different flavor when you start getting the music. But the lyrics are still important. 1962, here was the number one hit. I gave a letter to the postman, and he put it in his sack. Bright and early the next morning, he brought my letter back. She wrote upon it, return to sender, address unknown. No such number, no such zone. We had a quarrel, a lover's spat. I write, I'm sorry, but my letter keeps coming back. So then I dropped it in the mailbox, Send it special D delivery. Bright and early the next morning, it came right back to me. 
She wrote upon it, return to sender, address unknown, no such person, no such zone. This time, I'm going to take it myself and put it right in her hand. And if it comes back the very next day, then I'll understand the writing on it. Hello. Return to sender. Who sang that song? Elvis. You've got to have an Elvis song if you're going to talk about lyrics of hits. I'm not going to sing the song the way Elvis would. But the music to that song gives it a whole different flavor, especially when you see Elvis singing it. Here's some lyric from a 1968 number one hit. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. You threw the bums a dime in your prime, didn't you? People would call and say, beware doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all kidding you? You used to laugh about everybody was hanging out. Now you don't talk so loud. Now you don't seem so proud about having to be scrounging for your next meal. How's it feel? How's it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a rolling stone. The poet of the 60s. Come on. I know Jay is sitting back there eating this all up. You've gone to the finest school, all right, Miss Lonely, but you know you only used to get juiced on it. And nobody ever taught you how to live on the street, and now you find you're going to have to get used to it. You said you'd never compromise with the mystery tramp, but now you realize he's not selling any alibis, and you stare into the vacuum of his eyes and ask him, do you want to make a deal? This is the poet of the 60s. I've never heard anybody else record that song. Have you, Jay? No, nobody could ever record that song except Bob Dylan. The lyrics, without his voice, don't mean the same thing. I say voice loosely. (laughs) Even Christian songs. I found a list of the 100 best Christian songs of all time. Number 42, He Reigns. It's the song of the redeemed rising from the African plain. It's the song of the forgiven drowning out the Amazon rain. The song of Asian believers filled with God's holy fire. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful choir. It's all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah. He reigns, he reigns. It's all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah. He reigns, he reigns. Sounds like a nice lyrics, right? But we have to remember, the newsboys sing that song. It's, it's not like I read it. It's like, it's all like our children. They're jumping all over the place. You, you can't get the real essence of those lyrics unless you see the newsboys jumping around. Then the number one, on the list I saw, the number one all-time popular Christian song. Who Am I by Casting Crowns? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Who would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of who, what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I'm a flower, quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. You told me who I am. I'm yours. 
course, that song is so special to me because my granddaughter loves that song. My daughter and granddaughter were visiting an elderly lady, and my two-year-old granddaughter walked up to her and took her hand and just said, Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? She was singer of that song. Isn't that amazing? That a two-year-old could be touched that deeply by a song. But it's not just the lyrics. The music part of it was touching her. Just to show you that sometimes we can't get the full meaning of a message if it's not put to music. These psalms were written as songs. So while we read them and they wash over our soul, they touch us in our spirit, maybe we can't get the whole true meaning of what they really are without hearing the music that they were set to. But you know, just as in, in old England, when they took Christian or religious lyrics and set them to bar songs so that people would be able to recognize the tune, we can do the same thing. We take the lyrics of the Psalms and we put them to contemporary sounds, don't we? And, I, and that's okay. You see, music lyrics are really art. Music is a form of art. And in many cases, lyrics are not meant to be doctrinal statements. We don't take all of our doctrine from the Psalms. Good thing. Take out a few of those sentences and try to make a doctrine out of it. How about Psalm 3, 7? Strike my enemies on the cheek, break their teeth. Article 3 in our bylaws. That's how we treat the world. We better be very careful. There's, I think the, the message is something a little different there than just go punch people in the mouth. So we're, we're not trying to get a lot of doctrine from the Psalms. Psalms were written by poets, not preachers. Yes, we do preach from the Psalms. Yes, there are, there's truth in the Psalms, obviously. But it's not a preaching. Psalms are not prophetic, although there's prophecy in them. They weren't meant to lay out everything in the future. But we do find prophetic things there. The Psalms' lyrics are best way of using our human language to try to express what's deepest inside of us. That's what artists do in whatever form they use, whether it's sculpture, painting, music, graphics, whatever. And what the Psalms do, what these lyrics do, what these artists do for us, they touch us inside in our deepest part. I brought in my New King James Version here just because I look through the Psalms in this Bible. By the way, this Bible, given to Timothy Pat Millard by your loving wife, Virginia, Christmas 1986. I look through the Psalms here, and there's, there's a lot of colors in here. A lot of pencil marks, pen marks. And I'll bet you if you took your Bible and you, you, you put it next to mine, the same things wouldn't be highlighted. The same statements wouldn't be written there. Why? 
because something touched you differently than it touched me. Bob Dylan touches Jay very deeply. Why? I have no clue. I don't even understand Bob Dylan. Well, I know he has some depth to him. I, I, I was looking at the Reader's Digest here. It says, uh, finish this sentence. There is no sunrise, blankety, blankety, blank. Bob Dylan was one of the people I asked to finish that sentence. There is no sunrise that can touch the beauty that I remember in my true love's eyes. Whoa, that's Bob Dylan. So I know he's got some depth in there. It's just hard for me to find. But when I read the Psalms, I get touched deeply by what these poets say. And so do you. We also have to remember there's license in poetry. Poets can do whatever they want with language to try to express themselves. They use rhyming patterns. In the Bible, parallelism is used a lot. They say the same thing over and over in different ways to try to get us to, to find one way at least that will touch us in some way. I mean, Jesus uses the same thing. Ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He says the same thing in different ways, hoping that somehow we'll get touched by truth. So what we're saying, number one, is Psalms are lyrics. They're art. And when we look at the Psalms, we have to remember that that's what they are. Second thing, Psalms many times are an expression of praise. Here's a poet trying to take human language and say something about God or to God or to people about God using whatever tools they have, how they've been touched inside, and trying to express it in some way. In the Psalms, 152 times the word praise is used. And in Psalms 145 through 150, those last six Psalms, 46 times the word praise is used. Praise is important to psalmists, to these poets. And the word for praise is, in the Hebrew, Halal, H-A-L-A-L, Halal. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Praise Jah, Jehovah. Praise Jehovah, that's what Hallelujah means. The word Halal means praise him in a certain way. And here's some of the expressions. Here's some of the meanings of that Hebrew word. To shine. We want to make Jehovah shine brighter than anybody and than anything. To boast. Boast about Jehovah. Hey, we can brag all we want about God. It's, it's right to do. And of course, this is my favorite thing. Halal. To be clamorously foolish. To be clamorously foolish. Like King David dancing down the street. And his wife, Michael, saying, you're nuts. He said, you got it, babe, and I'm not stopping. Because I'm talking about God. Clamorously foolish. To rave. What's the latest rave? Oh, that it would be God. 
to celebrate. That's what halal means. I'm waiting for the day when we get a little halal in here during praise time. I know that the chapel is old. It's got a little ambiance in it about history. And I don't know what Frank and Roosevelt would do if he walked in here and we were halaling. That's okay. We got to express. We have to express the praise by doing what? Singing, shouting, dancing, clapping, lifting our hands. And Joe, my wife will attest to this. There are so many times, we read the Psalms every day, my wife and me. There are so many times I get to a certain Psalm and I picture you dancing at New Covenant Christian Church up in front. Remember those days? Five, six, ten, twelve people up there just halaling away. That was, you remember that, Judy? Yeah. It's okay. I think some of us have been tearing that page out of the Bible about no, no halal in 2013. I don't think so. Third thing. The Psalms, singing and music, was always, always a top priority in Israel. Now I know that pre-King David, Israel did halal. They didn't have the Psalms written down because David started and he wrote most of them. But the tradition of Israel was singing and music was a vital part of life. In fact, there were a lot of parts of life where it was the most important thing. It was to be number one. Just look at Psalm 68 quickly. Just a couple of verses there. Verse 24 and 25. They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were maidens playing timbrels. Many times, going to the temple, or even going to battle, the singers went first. Praise first. And we follow after praise. Praise God first. Everything else falls into place. Victory comes. The presence of God is there. As soon as we start praising, God's presence falls. How many times in the book of Nehemiah, if you look through the book of Nehemiah, how many times it says that Nehemiah made a place for the singers? The restoration of Jerusalem included a place for musicians. They even had their own space. And later on, they had their own towns. Could you imagine walking into a town of musicians? Well, if they were all Bob Dylan, I don't know what I'd do. But what a town that must have been. Could you imagine people with songs on their lips every moment of the day? How important is it? Well, you know, Satan himself was a song leader in heaven. A fallen musician. Music must have been very important 
It still is. The fourth point. I didn't really understand this the way I'm starting to understand it now, that Jesus is a part of the Psalms. But that was way before he was on earth. Yeah, but it wasn't way before he was alive. King David, a man after God's own heart, he was a type of Jesus. He wasn't Jesus, but he represented Jesus to the nation of Israel. And I don't mean just in some indirect, fanciful way. I mean really directly through David. Melchizedek, long before that, was a type of Jesus. And when Melchizedek was on the earth, so was Jesus through Melchizedek. Jesus is on the earth through King David. There's Not just because there's prophecies in the Psalms about Jesus. I mean really Jesus influenced David as he wrote Psalms. And therefore Jesus is in the Psalms. Now David wrote a little over 70 of the Psalms. That's about half. Asaph wrote some Psalms. But Asaph was appointed by David. Who do you think David's going to appoint? Somebody who has the same heart as David. Some of the psalms are written by the choir director. You think David's going to have any influence over the choir director? I think so. The Levites wrote a few psalms. You think David had any influence over Levites? How about Solomon? He wrote a couple psalms there. He thinks his son had his father's heart. So Jesus is involved in these psalms. But we have to be very careful because the psalms are not the full revelation of Jesus. At the bottom of your notes, it says two statements there. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. Now, we can find Jesus and get to Jesus through the Old Covenant, through the Old Testament. It's possible. But the full revelation of Jesus did not come until Jesus was on the earth. So the second part of the statement is, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. If we want the Psalms to speak to us about total truth, we've got to take what we read in these song lyrics and pass them through the cross and look into the new covenant for the fulfillment of the truth of Jesus. Okay, are we good on that? Because Jesus is the total fulfillment of God on earth. And the last statement there says, be sure to pass the truth in the Psalms through the cross. Otherwise, we'll have doctrine that says we can go out and punch people in the mouth. I looked through my Bible here and I looked at some of the underlines here. For instance, let's say Psalm 27, the last two verses there. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. 
I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. I've got a little inscription there that says Romans 8.25. So I flip over here to Romans 8.25. Something touched my heart when I underlined that and I flipped over to 8.25. If we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I must have been in a, in a mode where I needed to wait on the Lord for something. The word eagerly wait means expect fully. Wait on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord in the Old Covenant. I'm waiting on the Lord in the New Covenant. Waiting on the Lord is important. It says so. Somebody wrote a song about it. And then in the New Covenant, the same truth was expressed. Flip over a couple pages to Psalm 34. First verse. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. It says Ephesians 5.20. Something in Ephesians must have reinforced this for me, strengthened this for me. As I saw something, saw a truth that God was trying to impress on my heart. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, giving thanks to him always in all things. Is it possible for a person with cancer in their body to give thanks to God in all things? Yes or no? says so right here. Psalm 71.1 In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. No, I'm not going to be pale. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be disappointed. My hopes are not going to be delayed. That's all that that word means. Romans 8.1 there is no condemnation in the Lord who are in Christ Jesus. None. God never condemns, and I do not receive condemnation from people. I'm not ashamed. What do I have to be ashamed about? Nothing. I didn't say I don't sin occasionally and I have to go before the Lord, but that's not shame. Those are two different things. There's nothing wrong with me that I need to be ashamed about. There's nothing wrong with you that you need to be ashamed about. The Bible says so. Somebody wrote a song about it. And that was confirmed in the New Covenant. I love Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor things too profound or wonderful for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Calm. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Tim, shut up. Tim, lighten up. Tim, relax. Take it easy. It's not that important. Of course, we go over to 
Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. And the peace of God will rule your life. You do the same thing with your Bible, with your word. But when we do the Psalms, we've got to make sure that we're not just looking at some song lyrics that certainly touch our heart, even with truth. Because sometimes poets are struggling to express themselves. Isn't it so great when you see King David ranting and railing and complaining? And then at the end he says, well, praise God anyway. If we stop with the ranting and the raving and the railing and count that as doctrine, we might be in some difficulty. So what's going to happen with this series in the next eight weeks or so? Jay, we're not quite sure, are we? That's okay. What we're going to try to do is to take what has touched us in the Psalms and look for truth that can rule in our life. But sometimes we're going to have to look outside the song lyrics and get beyond the poet to some other place where we see the truth is strengthened for us.